A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey there, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. Welcome to episode 91. Um, I love you. I hope you're doing okay this week. I know that I am... I'm traveling a whole lot, so I'm behind on a lot of different kinds of work, and I am... Ooh, y'all, I need you to pray for me. I need an extra 24 hours in my life. I need, um, love. I need, uh, I need a good cup of coffee. There's so many things shifting going on in my life, and I'm really excited to share them with you. Um, I'm in the process of discerning, um, what the next kind of six months of my life might look like it's possible I might be moving it's possible that I could be uh, stepping away from graduate school because I'm kind of realizing that I don't need an MDiv to do what I want to do Um, part of the stuff that's upcoming is uh, a really huge project that I want to invite you to be a part of me and some friends who are uh, queer worship artists, queer uh, songwriters, producers, art makers, we are currently in the process of launching something that we're calling the Innovative Love Coalition. Innovative Love Coalition is going to be a group which is seeking to kind of create new and better spaces uh, for Christians everywhere, um, spaces especially that um, are inclusive of the LGBTQ community um, in the way of art, in the way of events, in the way of music. And as far as music is concerned, that's where you come in and where this big project coming up comes in. It's the first collaborative compilation worship album that is going to be written and produced and led by queer worship artists and I am thankful to be a part of the team that's bringing this project to life Um, you can get all the information over on the blog on Sunday um, or you can go search innovative co uh, or you can go search innovative love coalition all over the internet Um, I really really would love for you to give them a follow um, because this is a project that I'm going to be on We know that for many people, worship music is troubling because of who it's associated with or who it's been written by, like all the great anthems. And then you find out that, oh, Bethel actually still practices ex-gay therapy on their people. Or, um, you know, oh, we love all the Hillsong music, except for the fact that they don't believe that LGBTQ people should have any sort of standing in the kingdom of God. And that's bullshit. You know, why would I don't want to continue to listen and fund music and give royalties to churches and ministries that are not for my full inclusion. Um, So this is where I'm at. This is what I want to do. And so this is one of the projects that me and my friends are creating the first ever worship album um, led and piloted by queer worship artists. So, you know, we've got our, you know, like, why not make our own? We deserve it. We deserve this album. Um, and I feel like it really wants to be made. So it launches on Sunday. Just watch the social media for all the information. But I'm super excited. Go ahead and tell your friends about this, please. That would be so dope. Um, other things I am in the... Pro- I'm talking... Anyways, more more dreams when they come into more fruition. I don't have a lot of details or things. But Innovative Love Coalition, that's the one for sure thing happening. I think that's everything that I need to say right now. <laughs> So, why don't we take a second and jump into the conversation today with my guest, J.J. Warren. 
Um, you may know J.J. Warren as the young man who gave the impassioned speech at the UMC General Conference 2019, where the decision was made to adopt a traditional plan and not include LGBTQ people and same-sex relationships in, uh, you know, as a central and, uh, you know, blessed part of the body of Christ. So J.J. made national headlines with his his plea to just say, like, you know, I'm here and I'm, I'm part of the body. Um, I'll include a link in the in the show notes so you can go watch that yourself if you want to get real teary-eyed. Um, but before we jump in, let me tell you a little bit about him. JJ is currently a senior at Sarah Lawrence College just outside New York City and is a certified candidate for ministry in the United Methodist Church. He has worked with the Children's Ministry Director at Ardsley UMC and as a spiritual life coordinator for Kowasco Camp and Retreat Center. JJ spent the 2017-2018 academic year studying biblical Hebrew and theology at Oxford University in England, and in the summer of 2018, JJ led his first preaching tour, Renewal, in which he was invited to speak at eight churches in seven weeks around the state of New York. JJ has spent the past four years preaching at churches and youth events, founding a progressive Christian community on his own campus, leading the Young Adult Ministries team of the Upper New York Conference, and was a lay delegate to the special session of the General Conference in February, that's what we were talking about, where he made his impassioned speech for inclusivity and unity, which was featured by Huffington Post, uh, among other outlets. JJ has been uh, featured in Study Breaks Magazine, Sarah Lawrence, in Sarah Lawrence Phoenix, which I think is their, um, their newspaper and has a free YouTube Bible study called Call to Love. JJ is excited to also be on tour this summer uh, with Forward Together um, where he'll be expanding to cities across the U.S. and you get all the information on his website, jjwarren.org. I was excited to get on the line with him to just kind of talk about his own perspective of like what it's like being queer in, in a denomination that is like, you know, not including you and what he hopes for the future and what, um, you know, talks have been going on among the UMC. Uh, American delegates. I am just, uh, yeah, I'm excited. It's a really, really fun conversation. He's also like literally the sweetest guy ever. So, um, you know, grab yourself a glass of wine, grab yourself some coffee, snuggle up with something or somebody that you love, and enjoy this conversation with my friend JJ Warren. I am in the Methodist Church. I'm a candidate for ministry. I'm openly gay, and um, I go to college at Sarah Lawrence down in New York City. Oh, you're in the city? Yeah, yeah. You're so fancy. You know, we got to keep it fresh, keep it fly. So I came across who you were um, during the UMC General Conference when uh, you you hit up a couple of, like, uh, made a few headlines around a really what reporters were calling an impassioned speech that you mm. gave from from the floor about wanting to be uh, wanting to be a part of this church, part of this denomination, and like how this was personally affecting you. So I assume you were like you're like a cradle Methodist, right? Yeah. Yep. Sense um, and so I guess it just like how are you feeling? How's everything going with like in, in light of the decision? Um, like what was going, what has been going through your mind? Just, you know, wherever you want to go. Yeah. Um, right. I think one thing the secular media isn't doing well is that they're, they're showing the loss, but they aren't showing 
um, you know, how the arc of justice has bent in the last, you know, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that we only lost by 54 votes out of 820 something people who were voting, I mean, that's that's something to celebrate. Yeah. And since since last week, since the conference, 700 churches um, have signed on to be reconciling, which means that they support openly um, LGBTQIA people in their churches. And that's so, 700 I mean, new people, right? Yeah, 700 new churches uh, on top of, right, you know, hundreds of churches that were already in the program. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's, right, there's a lot of despair and rightfully so and a lot of mourning, um, but there's also a lot of hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What gives you hope specifically about like seeing that? Yeah, um, and and a lot of people have reached out and messaged like, why don't you just join the Episcopal Church or something? That's so um, annoying. That's not what you do. <laughs> no, it's very sweet. You know, they're like, come on over, we've got a spot for you, and it's like, no, this is my home, um, and my home needs to be safe. So yeah. Mm. Um, so. Um, what gives me hope is um, these little churches that I've received emails from um, that said, you know, we're just a small church in this tiny town and somewhere in rural America. And um, we want you to know that because of the general conference, um, we have decided to be openly affirming. And, you know, it was sort of understood before, but now we're open about it. And so those little churches all across the U.S. and across the globe are giving me hope. So. Yeah. And that's honestly where the change I think needs to occur the most. It's like, yes, we can like tar like I work with Reformation Project a lot. And so a lot of our work mm. is like working within like evangelical circles and um, you know, targeting local congregations in order to uh, help move policies along. Um like churches that are like pretty openly non affirming. And for me, like when you saying that gives me the same hope because you know, within like a larger city like Atlanta where I live, we have plenty of like open, no, I won't say plenty, we have a good number of open and affirming churches around here. Um, but it is the churches in, like you said, rural, middle America, places that uh, that I'm not present in, like that, mm. that people like me are not present in and people like you are not present in, mm. that we need to see those significant changes, not just like, oh, it's understood that we're affirming, but you have like, if, it's, if, you, if you don't say it explicitly, I don't think it's understood. Right, right. Because yeah. it always leaves room for, mm, I don't know if I'm safe here. Yeah. Yeah. So the, um, I think of what I think also gives me hope about UMC. And ho- well, let me ask you this. I don't, I don't know that you probably like don't know like the inner workings of like what's happening with the bishops. But I know that they were saying that they were going to be meeting in like two weeks to talk about a response to um, the, the general conference. And so I don't know if you had any visions for what you were like seeing going forward with the UMC, especially within, um, it's called the Western Jurisdiction, I think it's called? Yeah, um, the Western Jurisdiction is the, you know, like California, Nevada, Hawaii, um, all those areas. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're, right, they're the leaders of, you know, the movement, uh, really. And because they they have the ability, because there are more progressive people, it seems, in those areas. Um, obviously not in all of them, um, mm-hmm. but they've had that freedom to really say that we as a jurisdiction, and so bishops are only, um, they only move within jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, me over here, I'm in the Northeast jurisdiction. My bishops aren't necessarily held accountable by the Western bishops mm-hmm. and the Western hours. So 
Right. They're free because their entire jurisdiction says we will not um, condone this discrimination. So within their jurisdiction, um, they're free to, you know, be a safe space for people in ways that some of us who don't have a welcoming um, mm -hmm. jurisdiction, you know, can't. Polity is something, man. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I'm I'm pretty much a Baptist. So, like, we don't have that sort of thing. We have to say, you want to be on the committee for potlucks? Come on over. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have our share of potlucks. I mean, that's also vital. <laughs> Absolutely, to the life of the church. So it's like, what do you look for in a church? I look for uh, welcoming and affirming policies and good potlucks. Exactly. <laughs> Why do you want to be a pastor? Ooh, um, so I grew up in the church, and I, I always loved going to youth group and you know singing and then um, leading youth group. And for the longest time, I wanted to be an actor. And I thought that's definitely what I'm going to do. Um, I still enjoy this church stuff, but like this is my passion. Uh, and then when I was 14, I gave my first um, sermon at church. And these cute old at ladies. 14? Yeah. I Damn. had a really supportive pastor. Um, yeah. So, and these cute old ladies came up and they were like, you're going to make such a great pastor someday. And I was like, Lady, you crazy. I'm going to be an actor. <laughs> I'm going to be an actor, but that's sweet. Um, cute. So then I, you know, I was looking at colleges for acting, applied to BFA programs, you know, all the while having this internal struggle of, you know, I also feel called to ministry. And is that something that I could actually do? Um, so the summer before my senior year of high school, I was sitting at the lake of this summer camp that I worked at, a Christian summer camp. And um, I just felt this overwhelming sense of peace um, for the first time that this mm. is actually what I feel called to and I actually do enjoy it and it, it could be a future. Yeah. That's, and did you always feel like affirmed within that from your, like, from your congregational upbringing or was it something that you had to still wrestle through? Because you sound like somebody who like, I mean, for me, like, again, growing up evangelical, it was always like, you're a homosexual, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> so having to overcome that that barrier of shame and feeling like I can't get over it, has it been for you like a little bit easier within the Methodist tradition or at least in, within your um, area? Yeah, yes and no. I think I'm, I'm from a very small town in rural upstate New York. So mm -hmm. I never had gay role models and I didn't know that you, that was a possibility right be gay what? and so even though somehow I just always knew that you know God loves everyone um I I didn't have role models and I didn't think it was possible and then um my senior year um my pastor challenged our church to engage in the conversation to talk more about it um and so someone started to write letters on our bulletin board saying like you know homosexuals exactly like you said going to hell you don't know uh, homosexuals you know, yeah <laughs> you don't obey the bible um <laughs> <and> so, <laughs> i'm just little, every time someone says you don't obey the bible i'm just like girl neither do you exactly exactly when's the last time you had shellfish um mm. so right so um so yeah little rebellious high school me was like well i'm a clap back i'll write you know, I'll write a little letter up there. But I didn't know that I was doing it for me. I thought, like, I'm writing these letters for some other gay people. I'm not gay, but I'm doing this for other people. Interesting. Um, so you didn't identify yeah. yourself as gay at the time. Right. Not until college when I was like, whoa, this is a possibility. Because I go to the most LGBTQI-friendly school in the nation. So that Sick. was a great 
thing to happen. Okay, so um, talk to me about that real quick. About, I think this is interesting. This is something that my homiletics professor was talking about when she was going through her uh, through her MDiv and then through her PhD about how not seeing a woman in the pulpit like limited her imagination about what she mm. thought she could be. And so mm. do you think that's like similar to you, just like not being able to see a queer person as mm. a minister of the gospel, as a pastor? Like, I feel like that for me, at least limited my imagination, I think. Would you say the same possibly for you? Yeah, definitely. Right. I, in the, because I didn't identify as gay before college, it was just that I want to be a pastor and that's it. Um, and then realizing, oh shit, it's actually a lot more difficult if you're, you know, gay because my area doesn't accept that. So uh, coming down to the city and having all these resources and, you know, queer pastor mentors down here has really been right a gift to open up my imagination and see, you know, we, we bring so many gifts and we can do mm-hmm. things differently. Um, so yeah. Yeah. It's something that I, Every time like I, I speak with queer folks or like I go to a conference, it's a, it's a lot of the same thing of just like, I thought that this dream was dead for me. You know, mm. so many of us like come from these religious backgrounds or these uh, conservative backgrounds where a lot of times like we just, we because we cannot see it, we can't be it. It's like, there's mm. like, and then on top of that, there's the difficulty um, for many of us. Like, I think in regards to the movement of LGBT inclusion, like we're doing something for the first time. Like we are the people who are having to like have the tough conversations with our pastors or in your case, like a whole fucking denomination. Um, you know, like this, like this is, this is the time where, you know, hopefully our, our kids or whatever chosen family we have that comes after us are not going to have to deal with something like this because of, you know, the groundwork we're laying right now. But it's scary mm. because I sometimes wonder, I'm just like, will I see it in my lifetime? Mm. Yeah, and I definitely, right. I I never thought that before until I was walking around at the conference and these, you know, these 65-year-olds came up to me and, you know, with their white hair and they came over and said, I want you to know I was where you were, you know, years ago doing this struggle and looking at them and seeing wow in your lifetime we're still this far behind it was just kind of a moment right of perspective to be like you know this isn't this really isn't an instant gratification thing like it is it is hard work but excited to be in the hard work with them Mm -hmm. it's i think it's also rough because umc polity is like i think another thing that a lot of people don't understand around like it's just it's not just that oh you like you know they could just like approve gay people but just like it's y'all are a global church right like millions of folks across different cultural perspectives um um and i think that alone like causes a lot of like people just don't get that well i here's a here's a question that um like why do you stay like, why are you mm. still pursuing ordination in the in a church, you know, that's made a pretty, you know, clear policy um, policy decision about mm. who you are and how you can participate or not participate, as it were? 
Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the reasons is we're learning to make the difference between the denomination and the church. And so I think mm. that though the body gathered there, the 820-something delegates that were present, um, they don't accurately reflect the movement in the U.S., as well as churches around the world um, who are more progressive. And so to say, even though this body has decided for our denomination that will continue to exclude, we are the church and we will move us forward into that promised land of justice. And so I think, um, you know, I've received messages from people in Germany, from people in Norway, from people in Africa. I gave um this multicolored communion plate and chalice that someone had given me to mm. this this district superintendent in Kenya who's fighting for LGBTQ rights in Kenya where he could lose his job <sighs> to do that. So, right, it's just like we're around the world and we're in this together and that's why I don't want to leave. Mm -hmm. There's um, my friend Michael Vasquez said one time on a panel because, like, I, I'll tell you what, like, it's, like, give and take for me on the day of, like, whether or not I still want to be a Christian. I'm just, like, I could so easily just go do something else. That's actually not true because I grew up in the church. I've made my, I make my money being a Christian <laughs> right now. It's not, it's, like, it's, uh, what I thought about it was just, like, it is technically more um, financially stay it's more financially uh, prosperous for me to stay here because, like, that's what my brand is right now. <laughs> But it's also this feeling of just like, I I get really, really burnt out because I've been doing advocacy just for three years since I came out. Hmm. And I have a supportive church. Like I go to this really dope little progressive Baptist church here in Atlanta. But even like, I look at like the big picture and there's a, a part of me that wonders, I'm just like, there is a part of the church that is dying or a part of the church that needs to like lay itself down in mm. order that Christ can resurrect something better. Mm. Um, and I, I honestly, I'm just like, am I, am I going to see it in my lifetime? Cause so many of us, like, like you said, like we want that instant gratification. We want that. I mean, of course, like, and the, why wouldn't we, why wouldn't mm. we want people to include us fully? I feel like that, like, uh, th it's baseline, like the, like the, right. the the conversation that we're having of like whether or not we should include queer people in the church is like, in my opinion, a little insulting. I'm just like, this is like small potatoes. We can be doing so much more if we weren't like, can a gay person get married? Like, that's right. such a dumb question. They're already <laughs> doing it. Right. And it's already bearing good fruit. So like, can we like move on? But that, that for me is like the thing where like if I give up and this is when I go back to my friend Michael Vasquez's quote, he said this on a panel is like, if I leave, who will continue the work? Like, mm. If I leave, like I'm not staying for me. I'm staying for all these little kids who are sitting in the pews who are going to grow up to be queer kids in their rural towns who are not going to have a resource. Mm. And that's something I, I stay for. It's just like, you know, if, if the if in the future like it's not um if not me then who right right yeah right yeah and especially with a global church where you know some places where the Methodist church is it's still illegal and you can die by yeah. being gay and so right to have to be having this conversation e even just to have them debating it is progress so right mm -hmm. yeah yeah. 
Oh, progress is so slow. Ooh. Girl, sometimes she can, she's a worship leader, you know? Yeah, okay, okay. She makes progress sound sweet, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to. There's a couple of projects I'm working on with people around making, like, inclusive worship music, because for better or for worse, I still I still love worship music. I hate mm-hmm. to admit it. But, mm-hmm. I'm, um, but, like, I remember, you know what's so funny is, like, I remember, like, back in Virginia where I used to live, I um, I led worship at my church. And when I left, when I came out and like lost all the things, it was like, I never thought I would ever get back to that place. But it's also like finding those spaces, building those spaces where queer folks can fully participate in the life and liturgy of the church. I mean, it saved my life. Mm. And, and mm. I honestly think that like, what you're doing, what the UMC is trying to do is uh, is important work because we can't keep just, I mean, I just wonder like when, like when are, when are you guys gonna get, get over this? I think that's what we're all wondering, but like, right. And the, the thing with us is we're just, it's an identity crisis right now. Mm. We were set up 50 years ago and we were set up as a, and even before that, when John Wesley came to the U.S. from the Church of England, it, you know, it, it's this whole idea of a movement. He didn't set out to start a new church. He set out to start a movement to say the church mm. wasn't going out to the people. The church was just staying in its walls. And Ooh. so he moved here and he ordained people without having the power to ordain people given to him by the church. Oh, and so, come on, somebody. Right, Right. That's what we're doing. You know, we're coming to terms with the fact that we were never set out to be like this. We can't be a church of rules and to say who can and can't be ordained. And we were founded by a person who didn't have the authority to ordain. Girl, (laughs) that's it. And this is also why I think that, like, I'm secretly I'm like partly I'm partly Lutheran, a little bit Methodist. Okay. I I love me some Wesleyan quadrilateral. That was the thing that got me. That's the thing that got me out of my closet. Mm. And mm. so seriously, it's like scripture, uh, tradition, reason, personal experience. Yeah. Like it's brilliant. It's a brilliant yeah. way. And you also don't have to read that with it. Like that means that like your theology is also not formed in the vacuum of yourself. Like, it's formed mm. within the community. Mm. And also just like the fact that I can point to a personal experience and say, this thing has harmed me. Mm. So what does that do? That drives me back to my reason. Harm is mm. bad. It drives me back to tradition, which says X, Y, and Z about homosexuality. And I believe in the same way that our dear brother John Wesley, the apostles, Paul, all of them. I feel like what's so interesting too is that like, and this is I think this is across denominations, is that we hold up the words of an apostle. We hold up a tradition over the lived not i'm not saying that we should like throw out tradition or theology just based on pure experience but if experience shows us and tradition is showing us something harmful Hmm. that should at least drive us to the question of did we get this wrong right 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 it allows us the space to think critically about our faith and not just accept it One of my favorite um, theologians, Gustavo Gutierrez of the liberation theology movement, right? It's all about thinking critically and, right, challenging why why has the church been part of this structure that's oppressing and why aren't we envisioning a way to be part of 
you know, releasing the captives to be part of that liberation. And that's why we stay. That's why we stay. Damn, you made a Christian out of me this morning. (laughs) No, it's, 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 it's so, it's so frustrating because it's like, and there's, there's also this flip side of it too, of just like where, and I'll also say like, this is like a privilege of like being educated and having the, the mm. ability to go to school and study these things or having the space to do it, not having to focus on survival all the time. But I do think there's something in there to remember is that like every single church was started by a human. Mm. You know, it wasn't even started by Jesus. I also go back to Jesus and thinking like Jesus wasn't out to start a church. Jesus was trying to reform Judaism and trying yeah. to reform his tradition, his culture. Mm-hmm. And to start a movement, that was the right. thing that got him killed, is that he was trying to change uh, power structures from the ground up. Um, and that's what got him killed. And, mm. and when I think about like how that movement became an institution, which by and large, like over the course of the history of 2,000-ish years of church history, hasn't really done the best job and by that I mean has perpetuated like most of the violence we see in the world. It's, right. It like it breaks my heart. And then I also see within that movement, especially within the history, like there have been voices who have been dissenting the whole time, and we hold up those dissenters as people who are heroes. Hmm. Um, and it is so astounding to me that like we can, as queer folks and activists and you know LGBTQ folks and allies we get shit on all the time for being divisive. I'm just like, the whole history of the church has been about like arguing about what we think about God. I'm like, why would you be, why would this, why would today be any different? Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. (laughs) We don't have some gay agenda to destroy the church. It's right. Do we? Oh, bum, bum, bum. Stay tuned. I mean, I have a personal gay agenda to destroy the church. So just joking. No, um, I always joke like that because I just really like, it's like, if you want to see me that way, then fine. I'm still yeah. going to keep doing my work. But like, yeah, destruction is so boring because yeah. like, and it's messy and I hate cleaning. I really do. And people don't listen to what we say anyway. I mean, I post, yeah. right, post this video from the speech. Someone posts it and the people who were there are like, oh my gosh, like moved to tears, whatever, what have you. Holy Spirit just worked. I had no idea what happened. Honestly, uh, then, did you have like a Holy Spirit blackout moment? Yeah, I didn't. I did not plan that at all. I just pressed the button. I got up there, and then, yeah. So right. So they say the Spirit in these conferences because we have so many rules. Always pick someone to shout out amidst the rules. Mm-hmm. So I was just lucky enough to be there. And um, right, but the people who weren't there, the people who don't actually watch a speech they just repeat those same clobber verses and blah, 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 blah. It's like, you're not actually listening. You're not trying to be in relationship with me. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm wondering, right, how much church you really are. But anyway. No, but that's the real thing. It's just like, yeah, um, it's the same thing. Like Harvey Milk said it when he was mm. starting to run for office, just like, we have to come out so people know who we are, A. And when people know who we are, they're going to love us. Which in some in some cases is is true because I don't know. I'll say it like I just my mom is like a really fantastic example. Like when I first came out when I was in high school, not a great reaction. You know, we did the whole reparative therapy thing. Like we tried to 
uh, tried to pray the gay away for so many, for 12 years. 11, like, you know, 11, 12 years later, when I finally came out again as an adult, um, the first thing she said was, I don't understand, but I love you. And I'm, I'm always going to love you. So that's like progress, mm. A. And then as she's gotten to know the real me over the past three years, like I brought my uh, my former partner home for Christmas. Um, I can talk to her about dating. Um, you know, we've put on makeup in the same bathroom. It's like, <laughs> it's one of these things where just like when you know people, like mm-hmm. really know them and have like these deep intimate relationships, people can't help but see God in that. They right. can't, and I think that's like, if you, I want to. If you're opposed to same-sex relationships, like I, I challenge people to say, I'm just like, do you have any relationships with people who are queer, who are in same-sex relationships? Do you know any queer parents? Mm. Because if you saw, if you really did, you'd see God in it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's so funny. Yeah. When I got to the point where I could talk to my mom. I, I was on the train once uh, about to preach at a youth conference and I I was messaging her and then I stopped and then she was like was there a man on the train is that why you stopped messaging and I'm like, all right we're there mom we okay. have reached this level she's like she's like you, you talk you see somebody cute you want to make a little eye situation <laughs> like all right I guess we're there I love that your mom sounds like a delightful woman for sure. Yeah, but but right, it was that same that same journey. You know, at first it was I don't understand because I you know, grew up in churches that didn't understand either. And then to actually be confronted with it and say, "Oh, this is something I actually need to think about and not just cast a judgment upon." Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's been really transformative. Yeah. I think there's also something that like I want to touch on ever so slightly is that like I know I have friends who have been like you know, in the UMC for five ever who are queer or dating clergy who are like, I'm not really sure whether I should stay or I should go. I have friends who have said like, actually, I am going to leave the UMC because like, I'm just for my own personal health, I have to go. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, um, I don't think it's like something that should be like, like, like you said, there's so many people from other churches and denominations who will say, well, come over to our side. We're inclusive. You don't have to worry about that. Like, wrong response to someone who just lost something it's not very pastoral and if you like that's basic pastoral care you don't tell somebody who just like someone like something died hmm. you know you right. don't even, you right. know, say, well you know just come over to our house we still have one like no um so there's that but then i also think that there is the very real valid conviction for folks like if like if you're just done like your spirit cannot handle continuing to fight like step away, get to a space where you can get healthy. So you're not always like angry with the church or, and I think by extension, sometimes angry with God Mm. because it's so, it's so easy to become better. And I don't want that for my own life. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's a message we're trying to get out there too, is that we, if you we realize that some of us have the privilege of being in more accepting areas. And so even though the fight is still difficult, we do have that privilege. Um, mm. And so, right, if there are pastors or lay people who do identify as queer, and I'll have a whole nother segment on, you know, allies. Um, mm-hmm. But for pastors and lay people who are queer in the church, if they're mm. not in a safe space and they can't continue, then, right, we respect and love them. And if they need to leave for their health, then that, you know, 
Godspeed. But mm-hmm. right. And hopefully one day we'll have gotten the church to a place where they may feel comfortable to come back. But yeah. but for allies who are like, you know, I really can't deal with the way the church did this. Um, I I feel like I have to leave. No, 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 no. Lay it out. Right. Right. Use your straight privilege, you know, come out. They can't leave. They can't take away your credentials. They can't not pay you. So right. Unless you're clergy and mm. maybe they'll just move you somewhere else because you're straight. So and probably white. So and probably a man. So right. Use <laughs> your privilege, especially lay people to, you know, don't just leave. Don't just be like, well, my church, ha-, you know, we accept it, but we don't openly say it like, no, get out there you know, actually say that you love us. Yeah. There's actually a really cool um, Lenten practice thing that's been going around that was started by, there's like a whole bunch of people, I think like uh, my friend Matthias Roberts has signed on. I think Mm. RMN is doing some stuff, Uh, but it's called like, tell your pastor I'm affirming. So like Uh for for the, the thing they're saying is like for Lent, why don't you give up fear and tell your pastor that I'm affirming like, like using your straight privilege mm. uh, or whatever privileges you have to begin these conversations in a big way. Mm. Um, you know, what's wild though, that I just, it just kind of hit me is that like three years ago when I first came out, like n- nobody was talking about this. Mm. Like it's been, I feel like I've lived a thousand lifetimes maybe in the past few years. Cause it's just been so much, mm. but like, it is amazing to me to see what God has done in three years through God's people. Mm. And mm. if I have anything to do with it in my lifetime, there's going to be more than enough spaces for people to find their place. And I also hope that within like mainline denominations as well, that people are going to find the strength and courage to do the same. Sorry, that just hit me. Like that's, that's wild to me. Mm. Yeah. That it's only been three years. Right. And right. It is, it is bending. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that we could come together and only have 54 more people, that means, you Mm -hmm. know, oh gosh, I'm really not good at math, but 400 and something people were (laughs) against having harsher restrictions, you Mm -hmm. know, against gay people. So that's amazing. Yeah. Are you, um, are you one of those gays who just can't do math? Is that a thing? I also study creative writing and religion, so it hasn't really been a thing. Yeah, that's the same thing for me. I got my de- well, I got my degree in music, and they say like music and math, they all like link up. And I'm like, I can count to four, maybe six, and then beyond that, it's all subdivision, and I don't need anything else. Nope. Yep. Um, but I um, if you if you had like a uh, if you could say anything to uh, queer folks who are still part of the UMC, people who have been feeling super discouraged about this, like if you had a message which sounds like such a cheesy question, but like, what would you say to them? Yeah, I think the the story of Ruth and Naomi has really meant a lot throughout this. You know, two powerful women, and right, in Deuteronomy, the Moabites were, re- were excluded from the people of God by law. Mm. And yet we have Ruth going with Naomi, who is part of the people of Israel, going with her and say, saying, I will go where you go and I will die where you die. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. The fact that she was excluded by law and yet she becomes the originator of the line of David and of Jesus. Right, right. I think 
that's some encouragement right there. That God uses the people who the church and who the Bible has excluded to bring new life, to start something. Even within the old order, we can start something new. So stay the course, have hope, be Ruth, follow Naomi. That's, that's the message. Oh, that quickened my spirit. I also love that story right. for so many other reasons. And, and let's be honest. Yeah. Let's be honest about yeah. Ruth and Naomi. Yeah. Listen, she might have been looking for a mighty Boaz, but she was just trying to get her bills paid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's another uh, exegesis for another time. Um, but that's so true, is that throughout the scriptures and the whole story of Jesus is like, I have chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong, mm. the foolish mm. things of the world to shame the wise. Mm. You know, I have chosen that which you say cannot be to become. Right. right. And that's like, that to me is in, in amazing. And so if we are all, also like Jesus said, like, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and I've been anointed to preach the good news to the poor, to set the captives free and declare the year of the Lord's favor. And if I am a co-heir with Christ as mm. somebody who claims that, who has been, you know, saved by grace through faith, mm. then within my own person as a queer, gender fluid, like, you know, loud mouth, uh, you know, wackadoo Christian, I have that same authority to do the same thing. Like, mm. it's like, he's like, I get to say like, you know, like, I will follow you. Like, I will stick with you, church, because, like, I believe in your potential. I believe that you Mm. can be so much better than you are. And that's also another reason when people ask me why I say it. I was like, I've seen too much. I've seen the Mm. good that can happen. Mm. And then I meet people like you who, like, are just, like, so visible. Because visibility is so fucking important. Right, right. And, and, And that's what I would say to straight allies, too, is just, like, it is not enough for you to love your little gay. Your, it's not enough for you to just like love your gay friends. You have like put your put your body where your politics are. Put your mm. body where your theology is. Because mm. that's what Jesus did. Jesus put himself mm. on the line for his people. And if you are not like if you if you want to be a follower of Jesus, that means step up. Right. You know. And then when it comes down to like when you know a harsh teaching comes or a hard teaching that you can't understand, like when Jesus said, "I am the bread of life," and everyone was like oh, I don't know, this is a hard teaching to understand. And everyone left him. He turns to his friends and says, are you going to leave me too? Mm. And that's my question. It's just like Jesus is calling us, calling the church to affirm God's children mm. wherever and however they present themselves. And Jesus is saying, and like now that the church is like, well, I don't know about that. And then mm. people are like going off and like following mammon. And that's literally what it is. It's all like so many of the places that are not changing is it's based around money. Right. 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 Ooh. I mean, when we when we first got there and we voted to prioritize what we were going to work on, because we only had three days um, and we voted to have pensions first <laughs> yeah. above all of the work that we were there to do. And yes, pensions are important for pastors who have served their time. But the fact that that was our highest priority, that money came up before you know, dealing with how we would move forward, right? It it shows the harm and the pain and the corruption. Mm-hmm. But like you said, we we've seen too much. We see the potential. We see where we can go. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the prof- it's a prophetic vision. Like right. I see you know all tongues, tribes, and nations, honey. Mm. 
it's gonna happen it is only mm -hmm. and that's another thing too is that like gives me a little bit of hope is that eventually all of the people <laughs> this is super grim um but all of the people who are holding progress back are eventually gonna die <laughs> which is like the great equalizer for all of us but then i just think i was like you know what like eventually the gatekeepers are no longer going to be there eventually the gatekeepers like because like you can't stop the movement of god mm. like what else can i say like it's, it's right. like the, it's that one like uh emoticon where it's just like you know arms up i don't know mic drop right there like you can try like this but this wave is cresting and you can either learn mm. to surf or you can get swept away Ooh, all right. Listen, I like that one. I'm gonna use that sometime. Listen, I'll try to Mar use Kevin Garcia. I think that okay. So I uh I was listening to the Robcast and where where it was like their New Year special, like Rob and Liz Gilbert, and mm. she was just like, and Rob was like, is it true that you like steal my quotes? And she's like, this is like the progression of my quote. She's like, my friend Rob Bell always says. And then it's just like, you know, people say, and then those do, <laughs> you know, I always say that. <laughs> That's like the general progression. Like, uh, and so I try as much as possible to like continue to like. <laughs> um, I, um, I know that you probably have to get on with your day as do I. I've got to record some videos and stuff. I'm really thankful for the time that you spent with me and that we got to LOL and Kiki and all that <laughs> shit. Um, could you please uh, share with humans on the internet where they can find you, connect with your work? Because you also have a, a budding YouTube channel, correct? Yes, I do. Um, so, more queer yeah. Christian YouTubers, please. Dabbling in that YouTube sphere. So you can find me there, JJ Warren, just two J's, not J-A-Y. Mm. Um, and then... Um, Twitter, I only had 200 followers before that conference. Now I have almost 4,000. So I really, you know, any Twitter advice you got, I'll take it. Um, but you. follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's all the same at it's me, JJ Warren. It's me, JJ. Yeah. Love it. <laughs>
If you are willing, able, please go to patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia and learn about becoming a supporting partner. Two, if you can't give financially, there's always another easy way to support the show, and that's by leaving us a rating in the iTunes store. Um, found out today that the algorithm is largely skewed by the reviews, not necessarily downloads or subscribers. So if you haven't all, you know, we have, uh, you know, about 1,200 listeners an episode. So why don't you go poke your head over into, the, you know, all 1,200 of you. Go to the iTunes store right now. Leave us a rating. And let's spread this podcast to more people. Thank you. I think that's everything for me for this week. Um, I'm going to be in Spokane, Washington tomorrow. That's going to be on April 18th um, for the Pride Symposium at Whitworth University. So if you're around, please come hang out with me and Austin Hartke, who's also speaking. That's at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Um, you know, look at, go look it up on the internet. All the information's over on their website, I'm sure. Anyways, I love you. I adore you. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. Until next time, go uh, go see your therapist. Make sure you're taking your meds. Get plenty of rest. Do some stretching. Maybe some yoga. Redecorate your place. Make it a functional space that makes you feel like you don't have to perform for yourself or for anyone. Make it a space you can cry in. That's what I do with my space. Also, who remembers my space? <laughs> okay, I'm done talking. My name is Kevin. I love you, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>